focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio, we have our reporter in Lee Ji-young and Yu Zemin joining us back in the studio for the first time in many, many months. Good to see you once again. <laughs> Good Hello. evening. Good evening, SJ. You guys are both green. Green and blue. Yes. This is blue. Sky blue. That's turquoise there you go yeah. anyways good to see you once again we got a lot to talk about today we're going to start things off uh, of course with president yun sagar on his uh, trip to, uh, in europe we talked about the nato summit in lithuania all throughout this week uh, we also briefly talked about president yun sagar's official visit to poland this is where we're going to start off uh, we have south korea and poland signing three mous this on trade infrastructure ukraine reconstruction uh, construction uh, this occasion on the occasion of the two leader summit uh, the two countries cooperation in rebuilding ukraine uh certainly something worth noting here as well sumin you're going to start us off on this Sure. Well, South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol is on a three-day official visit to Warsaw, Poland. He met with his Polish counterpart on Thursday local time. Well, the two agreed to cooperate for Ukraine's reconstruction during the summit, with uh, President Yoon Suk-yeol saying that the countries are optimal partners for Ukraine's reconstruction. Now, on the sidelines of the summit, three memorandums of understanding the MOUs aimed at increasing cooperation in trade, infrastructure, and reconstruction projects in Ukraine were signed on the same day. And the third MOU is what's gaining particular attention and focus. Well, signed by South Korea's land ministry and Poland's point person in charge of overseeing the country's assistance for Ukraine, the third one, the third MOU, outlines measures to strengthen South Korea and Poland's cooperation for reconstruction and development projects in Ukraine. Well, for that, the two nations will establish a vice minister level consultative body to discuss cooperation in rebuilding Ukraine and the Seoul government decided to open a local office of its Korea Overseas Infrastructure and Urban Development Corporation in Warsaw, while also dispatching dedicated infrastructure personnel to the South Korean embassy there. Now, according to South Korea's presidential office, Ukraine's reconstruction will be a massive project. It will be carried out through private and government cooperation with two countries, and the scale, the sheer size of the project is estimated to be at around $52 billion. Now, given the total scale of this Ukraine's reconstruction project, which is worth as much as an estimated one trillion U.S. dollars or even more, Korean companies and governments' involvement in this will account for five point, roughly 5.5 percent of the total. Now, Poland, as we know, shares a border with Ukraine and has provided this overarching political, economic, and military aid and assistance to Ukraine, and it's expected to play a pivotal role. It's expected to be really instrumental in being a hub in future reconstruction projects of the war-torn Ukraine and South Korea's land and transport ministry and Ukraine's infrastructure ministry before back in May uh, signed an MOU there and the Presidential Secretary also said that the trilateral cooperation system between Seoul, Warsaw, and Kyiv has been completed for reconstruction projects in Ukraine. And other MOUs signed during the meeting include one on trade and the other on infrastructure cooperation. Yeah, so this is going to be big. Obviously, the, the most important thing right now is for the Ukraine war to end. Uh, and then, of course, following that is the reconstruction pro uh, projects. And uh, there's already some, I guess, agreement put in place with a number of smaller companies 
companies who have been uh, accepting uh, projects in Ukraine. Uh, for example, I forget which company, but uh, one of the smaller uh, companies have gotten a MOU to do the telephone lines in uh, Ukraine. And so like their stocks recently skyrocketed and so forth. And so there are a number of companies out there trying to get uh, some of these businesses in Ukraine, which is going to be major. Uh, but also during President Yoon suk summit with Polish President Andrzej Duda, the two heads of state uh, also making some strong statement uh, about mutual defense cooperation because President Duda openly expressed his desire for local production of Korean military weapons in Poland. Now, Jiang, can you tell us more on what type of Korean military weapons they've been discussing over there? Uh, sure, SJ. Now, President Duda mentioned the FA-50 light combat aircraft, the K-2 main battle tanks, and K-9 self-propelled howitzers that Poland has previously imported from South Korea. Now, he's especially keen on seeing K-2 tanks rolling off assembly lines in Poland, and this isn't the first time we're hearing about this. Duda has been pushing for this since South Korea first proposed uh, exporting the tanks. Uh, now, his remarks at the Joyce joint press conference seemed aimed at increasing pressure on the South Korean government and companies like Hyundai Rodham for local manufacturing. Now, President Yoon is all for South Korea and Poland's defense cooperation, but he made sure that it wasn't one-sided. He said that he's open to discussing more Korean weapons being shipped to Poland, but he's clear that the defense partnership should be a win-win situation. Now, he's hinting that before the K-2 tanks start being made in Poland, that there may need to be more Korean weaponry coming, um, Poland, coming from Poland's way. Now, what else was noteworthy was uh, their joint statement. Now, they're uh, not only just talking about a defense. And as Subin mentioned, Yoon sees Poland as uh, the go-to partner for Ukraine's reconstruction project uh, with a focus on infrastructure. On the flip side, uh, Duda's looking at tourism and wants more flights between South Korea and Poland. Uh, he's also talking about getting more Polish farm goods into Korea and also working together in energy and high tech as well. Yeah, it's interesting because before the war in Ukraine, uh, the big cooperation between the two countries was on the uh, uh, the electric vehicle batteries. And right. so South mm -hmm. Korea was building uh, plants over in Poland to produce these uh, batteries. But after the war, there was a big emphasis on Poland, especially being so close to uh, Ukraine, that they want to purchase a lot of these military goods. And so uh, there's been a lot of uh, MOUs. There's been purchases made by uh, Poland, and it is interesting. I mean, there's I mean a number of uh, Korean companies, like Hyundai Rotem is one of the companies mm -hmm. that you mentioned. Uh, Hanwha Aerospace is the other one uh, that's... Uh, continuously making a lot of these uh, K2s and the howitzers and the, the FA-50s and so forth. And so it is going to be a big business over there. And it does seem like the two countries, again, uh, actively seeking cooperation in different business areas. Again, the defense industry is the major one. Uh, secondary battery, as I mentioned, uh, this was the big one prior to the Ukraine war. Uh, in line with this, the presidents and the CEOs of major conglomerates and SMEs have accompanied the president. Uh, this is, of course, President Yoon in his visit to Poland. Uh, let's talk more about this, Sumin. Sure. So Poland is actually South Korea's biggest trading partner in Central Europe, and the aim is to triple bilateral trade by 2030. Now, South Korea's large business presence in Poland is basically essentially led by Samsung Electronics, SK Electronics, 
LG Electronics, excuse me, and LG Energy Solution. Now, LG Group Chairman Gu Guangmo, Hanha Group Vice Chairman Kim Dongguan, and LS Group Chairman Gu Jian accompanied President Yoon Sung-yeol's state visit to Poland as members of the 89 delegation that will help the economic diplomacy in electric vehicle batteries and, of course, defense industries. Now, namely, President of the LG Group Gu Guangmo, accompanying as business delegate, he's pushed to make multi-pronged, multi-faceted efforts to expand LG Energy Solutions' production line and its secondary battery plant in Poland. Now, LG Energy Solution currently operates a secondary battery plant with an annual production capacity of 70 gigawatts, gigawatts in Poland, and they're pushing to expand it to 90 gigawatts by the end of this year. So to put this, put this into perspective, 90 gigawatts can be used for 1 million electric vehicles. And there are uh, also about 9,000 LG executives and employees working in Poland with the total production output of the conglomerate even reaching $12.7 billion and other LG affiliates like LG Electronics, LG, LG Inotech and LG Chem, they're also eyeing to expand their business in the region in Poland, so LG Chairman is expected to promote the support in this regard as well. And also as Ji Young told us in detail, Poland and South Korea mutually uh, beneficial cooperation in the defense industry is pretty notable especially after Poland's purchases of 20 trillion won worth of K2 tanks, K9 self-propelled howitzers, and FA-50 fighters from South Korea last year. And actually, Hanwha Aerospace, uh, they signed a basic contract with Poland last year to export K9 uh, self-propelled guns. So with Vice Chairman Kim Dong-gwan's visit to Poland, they might close the second contract negotiations. And reportedly, the Polish military authorities are considering what they call an ORCA program to introduce new submarines. So, you know, this is expected to serve as an opportunity for Hanhua because Hanhua Ocean has a competitive edge in this field with its submarine market share reaching 97.8%, of course, by domestic standards. So they might strike new deals on this occasion of the visit. Hanhua has been reaping in money uh, thanks to a lot of these uh, military deals right now. If you guys, uh, the big joke is the baseball team is terrible, but the company is doing excellent right now. <laughs> uh, and this is thanks to uh, their expansion and uh, exporting military goods. And Again, the Hanwha Ocean was an interesting one that just kind of popped out uh, in recent months right now. And uh, they're really expanding their business. And Poland is going mm. to be a major partner. But, of course, just the start of, I think, many other countries that are going to, of course, uh, take on orders from South Korea. Uh, not to mention, we have South Korea planning to build more nuclear power plants over in Poland. This is another major project as well, Sumin. Right. So um, South Korea is now seeking to export this APR-1400 nuclear reactors to Poland, while Korea Hydro and Nuclear Power and Poland's state-owned public power firm and also private power firm, they, these three signed a letter of intent to cooperate on a construction project for a nuclear power plant in central Poland. Now, Poland is basically considered a gateway to Western Europe and holds a strategic position in Eastern Europe for South Korea to expand its foot print in the European market, which is why the nation has been really capitalizing on its edge and its high visibility, especially in the defense and second batteries industry. Now, President Yoon suk will hold a Korea-Poland business forum in Warsaw, Poland on uh, July 14th local time to encourage businessmen from both countries to cooperate and to work together to secure a future growth engine for both countries. And then he will get come back to Seoul after the business forum. Yeah, the, uh, the nuclear power plant business was the other 
another one. The only thing with this is that there was a bit of a, a hurdle because uh, Westinghouse over in the United States were saying that they have uh, the uh, the patent rights to the APR, uh, you know, fourteen hundred, and uh, you know, South Korea's uh, Korea Hydro and Nuclear Power saying like, no, it's not similar. And there was a whole back and forth going on, and mm -hmm. they were saying that maybe they could split the business or something. But nevertheless, another business opportunity there. Uh, there is another major change happening on international trade as well, which could impact uh, certainly dinner tables uh, all across Europe, at least when it comes to some of the European countries. Uh, they decide to lift import restrictions on food products from Japan, which were, of course, in effect uh, since the 2011 Fukushima nuclear disaster. Jiang, uh, tell us uh, what led to this change there. Uh, sure, SJ. Now, the EU's decision to lift import restriction on Japanese food products originally imposed after the, as you mentioned, 2011 Fukushima nuclear disaster is primarily based on recent comprehensive reports by the International Atomic Energy, uh, Energy Agency, also known as IAEA. Now, the IAEA has been conducting ongoing evaluations of the aftermath and recovery efforts from the disaster. And their recent report seems to have given the EU confidence to lift the restrictions. Now, the EU leadership, including Ursula von der Leyen and the president of the Euro uh, who's the president of the European Commission, cited scientific evidence and evaluations from the IAEA as their primary reasons for their decision. Uh, they mentioned that there was a consensus among all 27 uh, member states. And according to EU authorities, uh, the decision was made based on scientific, quote unquote, scientific evidence and the EIAEA's evaluation. However, it is critical to note that while the import restrictions have been lifted, the EU has emphasized the importance of continued monitoring by the Japanese government, particularly for uh, potential radioactive contamination near the site of the Fukushima disaster. Now, it's expected that the safety and transparencies of these inspections will be vital in ensuring public trust in the safety of import imported products. So what this means for consumers is that basically once the restrictions are lift, fully lifted, uh, EU importers of foods such as fish and mushrooms from certain Japanese prefectures won't need to submit radiation test certificates. But it is is not just the radiation certificates. Uh, foods from other prefections, prefectures won't even have to even prove their origin. Yeah, so I mean, the, the criticism behind this and I think some of the uh, you know not the I guess on a governmental level but some of the people in the EU nations are saying is this too early right now mm -hmm. uh, but nevertheless tell us uh, how this decision plays into a bigger picture globally though yeah now it's worth no noting that this decision comes in the context of a broader geopolitical relations now the EU and Japan have committed to strengthen cooperation not only in trade but also in security matters uh, in response to shared challenges, um, including uh, from China and North Korea. The EU and Japan strongly condemned North Korea's ongoing nuclear weapon and ballistic missile development 
as they also emphasize the importance of diplomatic efforts towards complete, uh, uh, verifiable, and irreversible denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. So they're planning to establish a ministerial level uh, strategic dialogue, which will be a forum for regular discussions on international security issues. Uh, But despite these assurances, there are still concerns and also skepticism among some parties, particularly concerning the potential long-term environmental and also health impacts of the disaster. Therefore, it will be essential to monitor this situation closely as it develops. Yeah, so I mean, based on right now, it's just based on trust and they're basically the EU commissioner, uh, sorry, the European commissioner Ursula von der Leyen basically came out and said, listen, we're going to trust the Japanese government and those involved to test everything properly, sir. Because the certificate, I believe, that was uh, in effect since 2021. Uh, So you needed a radio, you know, like a certificate that shows it has like low radioactive uh, isotopes or something like that some chemistry terminologies that i'm not too familiar with but now they won't need this and so basically they said listen we're not going to require any of these certificates but this is based on trust and we have to we have to trust that you are going to be very transparent with this if there's anything wrong with it you tell us but on the flip side the one thing that wasn't mentioned too much on the media is the fact that japan had also slapped some restrictions on the eu farm goods as well and so they're saying uh japan basically came out saying well you know now that uh the eu has used their scientific uh, basis to lift our restrictions. Ah, I guess we're going to also use our scientific basis uh, to lift uh, EU farm goods as well. So, I mean, it's you know, the EU is also getting something out of this, uh, which is going to impact a whole lot of uh, the, the agricultural uh, stuff. And as we've known, uh, a lot of people are saying that there is a food crisis due to a number of issues, geopolitical issues right now. And so they're trying to alleviate all these issues by lifting uh, these restrictions. But as Chiang said, there are some concerns right now uh, with people saying that maybe it is a little bit too early. Uh, we're going to switch gears here. There's a meeting of four ministers from the ASEAN member countries. Uh, we also had Japan and China on edge over Japan's plan to discharge contaminated water from the Fukushima nuclear power plant. Uh, Sumi, let's get the latest on this. Sure. Well, we do know that Japan and China are seriously at odds over the impending discharge of radioactive water from the nuclear power plant. And Beijing apparently strongly opposes Tokyo's plan. And with the IAEA essentially given the go-ahead, there, China is really voicing opposition in various ways. And Wang Yi, the head of Foreign Affairs Commission of the Chinese Communist Party's Central Committee, he brought that up uh, in the ASEAN 3 plus 3 meeting, expressing concerns over the impending discharge. Now, Japanese Foreign Minister Yoshimasa Hayashi made it clear that his country will discharge, discharge the water in accordance with international standards and customs, so dismissing China's stance. And Hayashi has accused Beijing of disseminating incorrect information and demanded that the nation discusses the issue from a scientific standpoint. Now, uh, except for China, no participants in the meeting have explicitly voiced opposition to the plan. And just to recap, a Japanese government last week said that the plan to release the water aligns with global safety standards and will have a negligible radiological impact on people and the environment. But China has been really consistently urging Japan to put a halt to the plan, citing potential health hazards and this potential impact on the environment and also on the people. Now, South Korea already manifested that it respects the IAEA's 
report and also released a separate analysis that essentially aligns with that of IAEA, although still facing intense opposition from the main opposition Democratic Party. And in a meeting with foreign ministers of the ASEAN Plus 3 meeting in Jakarta, South Korean Foreign Minister Park Jin did not really bring up this issue along with other ASEAN member nations. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting the back and forth with uh, China and Japan as well, because Japan is basically going, hey, China, Look, you you guys have nothing to say because you guys have four nuclear power plants along the coast of your country, and it's basically releasing a whole lot of wastewater with a whole large level of tritium. So I don't know what your problem is. We're putting in less tritium and so forth, and there's got to be a whole lot of back and forth in regards to this. Uh, let's move on and uh, turn our attention to North Korea. Uh, the government has imposed sanctions. We're talking about the South Korean government imposing sanctions on key North Korean officials, uh, this including General Chung Kyung Tech. Uh, this, of course, in response to North Korea's recent uh, Hwasong 18 ICBM launch earlier this week. Uh, Jiang, let's get the latest details on this. Sure. Now, this is a pretty big move by South Korea, and they've decided to put General Chung Kyung Tech, who is at the top of the Korean People's Army General Political Bureau, uh, and Park Wang Woo, who used to run propaganda for the Workers' Party, onto their own sanctions list. Now, these two are seen as major players in North Korea's missile and nuclear efforts. Now, also on the list are Park Hwa Sung and Hwang Gil Su. Now, these two have been involved in all kinds of money-making activities for North Korea, uh, which the UN uh, Security Council sanctions forbid. Now, this includes sending North Korean workers overseas and construction constructing monuments. And it's not just the people. Uh, three organizations are getting hit with some sanctions, too. Uh, one of them is the Chosan Peko Trading Company, which has been involved in art and construction projects across Africa and the Middle East uh, since the 1980s. Now, Park Hwasong and Hwang Gil-su have been operating in the Democratic Republic of Congo under this company, and they've even set up a front company there called Congo Akond, S-A-R-L, which has been involved in the monument construction business something that's uh, explicitly been forbidden by the UN Secretary, Sec Security Council sanctions resolution number 2321. Now, the South Korean government has been clear about their goal here. Uh, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs said that they clearly stated that there will be uh, inevitably be a price to pay for North Korea's provocations and that the government will continue to strengthen close cooperation with the international included uh, community, uh, including the U.S. and Japan, so that North Korea clearly understands this fact and get back to talks about denuclearization. Yeah, that's not going to happen. I, they're not going to come back to denuclearization talks. <laughs> Again, we've seen this for many years now, but it is also you know worth noting that uh, since the UN administration, which we th which we thought they were going to be much more hawkish uh, towards the north, uh, have been slapping a lot of these unilateral sanctions mm -hmm. uh, since the start of the UN administration. Uh, but speaking of uh, North Korea, there was the open session on the United Nations Security Council being convened. Uh, this, of course, to address North Korea's missile launch earlier in the week. And again, I mean this. And without concrete results, uh, you're always going to have uh, China and uh, Russia kind of going against what 
the rest of the countries are kind of concerned about. Uh, Sumin, you're going to tell us more about this. You're exactly right, SJ. Well, we do know that UN Security Council is convened after North Korea fires any sort of projectiles or missiles, usually ballistic missiles. And again, it ended in a similar fashion with China and Russia obstructing the adoption of a resolution. Now, this time it was convened at the request of the United States, Japan and Britain, and the meeting included the first address to the council by North Korea since 2017, with the regime's UN ambassador Kim Song defending Wednesday's launch of a solid fuel Hwasong 18 intercontinental ballistic missile. Now, in the meantime, the representatives from South Korea and the United States, Hwang Jun-guk and Jeffrey De Laurentiis, criticized the continual lack of response from the UN Security Council. Now, quoting the South Korean president's remarks, he said, "It is deplorable that the Security Council has remained silent in the face of DPRK's repeated reckless behavior." It is a perfect example of this total disregard for international norms, as well as a brazen mockery of the functioning of the UN Security Council. Very pungent criticism, I guess. Yeah, so believe it or not, earlier this morning, I went on UN.org mm-hmm. and I went into the live feed for the UN Security Council. Oh, so you did meeting. watch the live wa- stream? I watched it because I was because I work on the news team and they told me to write about what North Korea because North Korea uh, the North Korean ambassador there was going to uh, make a speech for the first time in like five yeah, years and six or seven it's months or something like that. And so I had to write something. And none of the articles, Korean articles, had covered it. So I said, you know what? I'm going to go watch this. And as soon as I turned it, what do you know? He's talking. The the representative from North Korea is talking. And I was actually very surprised at how calm he was. I thought mm. there was going to be a whole lot of yelling going on mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Uh, but a lot of interesting comments being made there. But, of course, once I got the information, wrote my stuff, shut it off. Apparently, afterwards, there was uh, quite a bit of a face-off between the representatives from North Korea and South Korea in a mm-hmm. heated debate over the recent ICBM test. Uh, Jiang, tell us more about this. Sure, SJ. Now, the atmosphere was quite tense at the UN Sec- uh, Security Council meeting. Uh, for the first time, as you mentioned, uh, in nearly six years, five years and seven months to be exact, a North Korean ambassador attended the meeting. Now, North Korean ambassador Kim Sung asserted that the recent ICBM test launch did not pose a negative impact on the security of neighboring countries. Now, the South Korean ambassador countered that by questioning how neighboring countries could possibly see the launch of an ICBM as safe. Now, Amb- Ambassador uh, Hwang Jung-guk uh, strongly, South Korea's Ambassador Hwang Jung-guk strongly condemned North Korea's frequent ballistic missile launches, calling it an outrageous act of propaganda from a member state that completely disregards the authority of the Security Council. Now, North Korea's Ambassador Kim's reaction uh, was seemingly unfazed. He was quite calm, cool, and collected. And he defended the missile launch as an exercise of a sovereign state's right to self-defense. Now, he argued that the U.S. and uh, Europe calling a Security Council meeting was in itself a uh, contradictory act that violates the U.N. Charter. Uh, He also expressed strong caution over over the U.S. attempts to uh, redeploy nuclear weapons in South Korea for the first time in 40 years. So uh, what's the way forward from here? Well, Ambassador Huang was pretty clear with his stance. Um, He's urging the world to share that it's uh, to show that it's more that it's more determined to denuclearize North Korea than North Korea is 
to build up its arsenal. And he's pushing for all nations to come together and condemning North Korea's actions. And Huang made a point to bring up human rights uh, issues back to the forefront, arguing that it's just as important as the nuclear issues. And he's calling for officials uh, talks to resume at the Security Council on North Korea's human rights situation, seeing both this and nuclear development as two problems that we really can't separate. Again, uh had a very good chance to listen to at least uh, Kim Sung's uh, comments that was made and before there was a back and forth with the uh, the South Korean ambassador. But again, uh, very surprised at how calm uh, his statements was. And it got it even to the point where you were like listening to him. You're like, I mean, it does seem like he had a good point. Like one of the things that he said was, listen, yes, we tested a solid fuel ICBM, Hwasong 18 ICBM. It shot over the EC. It shot over Japan, far away from the exclusive economic zone. It was not dangerous for Japan. So I don't know what the problem was. And then he went on, talked about the Washington Declaration, which I thought was very interesting, where he said, well, you had the leaders of South Korea and uh, uh, the United States signed this uh, Washington Declaration. And through this, they formed the uh, nuclear consultative group. And then he was like basically saying, well, the South Koreans and the U.S. forming this uh, NCG is basically them going, We're gonna, we might use nuclear weapons against North Korea. So it's not us that's uh, threatening people. It's you guys making all these groups threatening us. And so it's like the way that the, the calmness of his statement, you're kind of going, hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 80% of communication <laughs> is, like, is nonverbal. Yeah. So presentation, presentation, presentation no, is it key. Was, it was the presentation. That's so a right. lot of people might have been going, this guy seems a little bit too calm for what he was saying. But you're right. <laughs> If he was more angry, if he was like kind of screaming and stuff, like it would have yeah. been just sounding like, you know, some. It would be a new SNL skit. It, it would have you know, been. Yeah. Uh, but again, still uh, to the international uh, community, mm-hmm. uh, especially because we know that any message towards the United States that they want to deliver, uh, they use the ICBM. And it is also very concerning that it's a solid fuel uh, ICBM and the latest mm-hmm. uh, Hwasong 18 uh, ICBM missile there. Uh, Speaking of which, we knew that there was going to be some military response uh, from the United States and South Korea. Day after North Korea fired the Hwasong-18 ICBM uh, towards the East Sea, we had South Korea and the U.S. conducting combined air drills over the Korean Peninsula on Thursday. Uh, Assuming let's get more on that. Sure. Well, the South Korean Joint Chief of Staff said Thursday evening that South Korea and U.S. conducted combined air drills over the Korean Peninsula without specifying exactly where in the Korean Peninsula the drills took place. Now, Seoul's F 15K fighters, Washington's F-16 jets, and the American B-52H strategic bomber were reportedly deployed in the trading. Now, according to the Joint Chief of Staff, South Korea and the United States enhanced combined operational capabilities through the swift deployment of the U.S. extended deterrence asset that was coordinated in a timely manner. Now, we are aware that this extended deterrence refers to America's commitment to using the full range of military capabilities, of course, including nuclear uh, power to defend its ally, South Korea. So this drills apparently demonstrated the U.S.'s commitment and its resolve to carry out the so-called quote-unquote extended deterrence. Which, again, North Korea says it is a uh, invasion tactic and they are preparing to invade uh, North Korea, whereas them shooting ICBM, it's defensive yeah. in nature. I don't know how shooting an ICBM 
A ballistic missile is defensive in nature, no. but I mean, we sometimes don't understand a lot of the things that North Korea says, including July 27th being not Armistice Day, but Victory Day for North Korea. Uh, let's talk weather, because as we have been doing all throughout this week, we have been closing off the program with some weather updates. Um, I, you know, there was some concerns uh, as of last night that there was going to be a whole lot of rain in the Seoul region, Seoul metropolitan region. It didn't get as much, and even today all throughout the day wasn't as much. Um, but we did have other parts that have been hit very, very hard. Heavy downpours causing a whole lot of damage and disruption as well. Uh, but apparently... The weird thing is, even though it's sold, there were some parts of Seoul that was hit hard and others that weren't. Let's talk about some of the places that were hit hard. Jiang, you have more on this. Uh, sure. Now, there has been relentless rain that pounded South Korea for quite some time this week, and especially overnight uh, in some certain areas. Uh, while it's currently drizzling at the moment, uh, some regions, regions in Seoul and the surrounding areas experienced an alarming 50 millimeters of rain per hour last night. And this led to a closure of major roads, including the Tamsu Bridge, and restrictions on access to 27 streams in parts of Han River Park. In addition, a power outage occurred in a 2,000-home apartment complex in western Seoul, prompting many residents uh, in basements to evacuate for safety. Now, the rain is expected to persist, and especially in, in Chungcheongdo province and Cholabukdo province face precipitation rates of 50 to 100 millimeters per hour due to a collision of air masses. Now, looking ahead until the 16th, inland areas of Chungcheong, Honam, and northern Gyeongsangdo province may receive uh, 100 to even 250 milliliters of rainfall. Now, the metropolitan area, uh, inland Gangwon-do uh, province, and uh, southern Gyeongsangbukdo province should, could see 30 to 100 millimeters, while the eastern coast of Gangwon and Jeju uh, Island can expect 20 to 70 millimeters. Uh, rainfall distri uh, distribution will vary across uh, the peninsula, resulting in significant differences between regions, uh, area, um, as I mentioned before. Uh, also, the uh, Cheonnam and northern inland Gyeongsang may see uh, over 300 milliliters. Now, the Korea Met uh, Meteorological Administration urges the public to stay informed as the situation develops and also real-time weather updates through broadcasts or online platforms are highly recommended for everyone to stay informed. And uh, millimeters is the, uh, the millimeters. Uh, excuse yeah, me. Yeah, 100. So, I mean, we've seen pictures on uh, the news right now, and it's, it's, it's weird how even in Seoul, there were some regions that were hit really hard and other parts where it just barely rained. And I think uh, the Sochogu area was one of those places where it just barely rained. Uh, there was a lot of uh, alerts going on, and especially, I think, in the... Um, was it the Chala regions, right? And I have mm -hmm. seen uh, pictures of uh, Kumpo, I believe. I uh, sorry, Kunsan, mm -hmm. uh, where roads were just completely flooded. flooded. And so, for any of our listeners out there, especially our Jeju listeners, uh, from what I understand, that uh, we had some reports that a lot of the uh, the flights have been canceled, mm -hmm. uh, not not just because of the rain, mm -hmm. uh, but also the the strong winds uh, that are blowing. And so. Uh, 
always be cautious. Uh, try to stay away from any of the streams or rivers or any of the beaches or anything like that. And uh, continue to listen to uh, Arirang Radio for more English updates as our announcers will continue uh, to serve you guys some emergency reports. Uh, but for now, guys, thank you very much for coming in with your reports. Please stay safe and dry. So it's good to see you once again. Uh, stay safe. We'll see you guys again. Thank, thank you. you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.